If you have your Bibles, turn with us to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And uh, I want to start here with the subject of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, in your notes, it says 500. How many of you see that? Okay, that was an error that we did not catch. We did not catch that. Okay, there it is. Okay, thank you, Brother Matt. I appreciate it. And all of the others that got everything going there for us. Good. If you'll notice here, the feeding of the 500, that's supposed to be 5,000. So on your notes, uh, put another zero there. Another zero. It's 5,000. 5, and to be honest with you, it's not 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men besides women and children. So we know there were several thousand that was there. And this is what I want to talk to you a little bit about here today on this first part. And that's impossibilities in the hands of Christ. And uh, I want you to see what I'm going to be looking at here uh, in verse 15. If you look at 14 and verse 15 with me and follow along with me. Now we're at this number one here. Number one, Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 21, the feeding of the 5,000. And I want you to follow with me here on this. And I'm going to point out some things to show you the weakness of man and the fallacies of man. Even the best of us can have a shortcoming of the great possibilities and the powers of Almighty God. And uh, I want you to notice here what it says here in, in A. I look in verse 15 now. And when it was evening... When it was evening, that's what I have on part A. That's the very first part of that verse. When it was evening here, if you'll notice that. Now I'm going to go back to the scripture. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, now they're going to present to Jesus a problem. They're having a problem and it's going to have to be solved. And the only way they can see how it can be solved is the answers that they are going to give him. And, uh, they said, and when it was evening, they came to him saying, this is a desert place. Now, the word desert place is mentioned also up in verse 13. When it says that when Jesus heard of it, he departed this by ship into a desert place apart. And then they followed him out of the cities and they went to where Jesus was. This word desert place is not actually a desert like dry sand. It was deserted place. Later on, I'll show you scriptures in the Bible down further down to show you that it was not a dry sandy uh, like we think of a desert. It wasn't that. It was a deserted place, a place where nobody lived, nobody was, and uh, this is where they, had, they were going. So they went to a deserted place, and the time is now spent... This is what the disciples were saying in verse 15. Send the multitude away. Send them away. This is what we've got here, one and two and three right here. This was their answer. Send the multitude away. And this was the reason that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or food because it's evening or late in the day. Nobody has eaten They've been out here following you, listening to what you had to say. One of the scriptures and one of the, this, this incident is recorded in all the four gospels. One of the gospels says that they listened to his words and followed him in his teachings. Others said they followed him for the healings and so forth. But it was all of it together. They were following Jesus. And it came up to a place where that they knew it was getting to a place where they had to eat. And there was no food. And so he said, the disciples said, send them away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. This was the disciples' answer to the problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? This was their answer to the problem. And this is pretty common. It's pretty natural. And this is where most of us would be. But when it comes to Jesus, he does things totally different than anybody else. And what I'm going to talk to you about is nothing new under the sun to you. But I want to point out some things to you here that our thinking sometimes can be off from what Jesus would have us to understand about his power, his glory, and his will to do great and wonderful and powerful things 
in our lives and amongst us and in our midst. Praise God. So he says here, uh, go let them buy victuals. Verse 16, this was Jesus's answer. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart. In other words, that's not the answer. Jesus said they need not depart. That's, that's not it. They don't have to go away. And suddenly their idea of what was needed and what Jesus was saying was at odds with each other. They were, they were, they were crossed like that. They couldn't figure out what in the world are you going to do? You, you, you say, you know, they need not depart. And then Jesus adds to that, give ye them to eat. Well, that compounds the problem even more. Now I'm getting, showing you here, they were thinking in the natural. And that's the way you and I think. They were thinking in the natural. And he said to them, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they're saying, yeah, give them to eat. We don't have anything to give them to eat. That's what they're thinking. But this is the master. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. And they don't want to be saying something like, uh, you know, like, hey, Jesus, you don't, you don't have it together here. Hey, do you understand what's going on here? And so they, you know, were just trying to tell him, you know, at verse 17, this is what they tell him. They said to him, we have here five loaves and two fishes. Now, in other of the gospel books, it, it brings out that there was a little boy who had brought, brought a lunch and in that lunch, he had five fish and two, uh, two, two loaves of bread. Uh, five, uh, I'm sorry, five loaves of bread and two fishes. They weren't big loaves of bread like, like a Cuban loaf of bread or something like that or a big loaf of bread you'd buy in a store. They were uh, little biscuits-like type bread, biscuits like a little boy would have on his trip. And two fish, two fish. And apparently his mother had packed that for him and said, now, if, if you want to go see Jesus and be with the crowd and everything, take this with you. If you get hungry, you got something to eat. So when they went looking for food, he surrendered his and said, here, I've got this, you know, if this can help out anyway. What a, what a spirit this young fellow had. I'm, I'm just thinking he was willing to give his food up for whatever the need might be and turned it over to them and just waited to see what would happen. Even Either he believed that Jesus was going to do something very powerful or there was an answer that was greater than what he needed or that a lot of people had food and they had to put it all together or something. But he was willing to give up the food that he had. <clears throat> and the disciples said to Jesus in the 17th verse, we got five loaves and two fishes. And he said, verse 18, bring them hither to me. Bring them to me. And this is where the miracle began because Jesus brought the food to them and he brought it to them that they might have the food, that they may eat it, and that they may have something that they can eat. Praise the Lord. Uh, we have to obey the words of the Lord always. The possibility of obedience, praise the Lord, it was very important here that they would obey the Lord in everything that he would say to them for them to do. Praise God. And he said, bring me hither to me. And verse 19, now look at this very closely. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. Excuse me. <coughs> this is why I was saying that this was not a desert place like we would think of a desert, but it was a place that, a deserted place. Sit down upon the grass. Now, in the book of Mark, it said they sit down upon the green grass. He said, sit down upon the green grass. So we know from that even more so that it was a grassy place. Uh, I have been in Israel and in that northern, uh, northern around the northern uh, Sea of Galilee, and it has a, a coped out place like this. It's amazing. They demonstrated this to us. But you could sit on the slopes like this to, down toward the sea. And you could sit on the slopes in a, in a fashion and a person could be down at the bottom near the Sea of Galilee and speak just, I mean, just talking like I'm talking now. And thousands of people could hear you by the way that that is shaped. 
And those pockets like that are all along that northern part of the, and it may have been an area like that. But whatever it was, it was a place where it's green grass, nobody was there. The people had chosen to follow Jesus without getting any dinner or lunch or getting ready for the evening and all of those kind of things. And Jesus said in the 19th verse, he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fishes. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and break. I'm reading verse 19 here. Break and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Now, isn't it amazing how the Lord passed it on to those disciples that they were the ones to distribute the blessings of God? And I'm going to tell you here today, folks, that God uses his people. He uses his people. And the first thing that he said to those disciples whenever they said, the people need food. He, they, he said, give ye to them to eat. You give to them. And we don't have anything. We, there's nothing here. But when Jesus provided, he didn't say, well, you didn't, you didn't have faith. You didn't believe God enough or something. You just sit over side here. I'll get somebody else to pass out the food. No, though. He used those same disciples. Now you have something. Give to them. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to say this to all of us here today. We have something, folks, to give to the world. Praise the Lord. It may not be bread. It may not be fish broken up, but it comes from Christ. And it is the power of God. It is his word that he has given unto us. And in that word is the power of God. God's word is a powerful thing. And whenever sometimes you feel like you have run the course or you've come to the end of the rope or you don't know which way to turn or you don't know what to do, go to the word of God. I'm telling you, there is, there is something in the Word of God that can just strike a fire. It can build faith in your heart. It can say, I believe the Word of the Lord. I believe God will do what He has said that He would do. Praise the Lord. And the Lord will give us that Word. Praise God. There's been more times I've gone to church and I did not know what the answer was for my life or for whatever I was dealing with or whatever was in, well, whatever was going on. I said, God, I just don't know. I'd go to church, praise the Lord, and I'd hear the word of God. I remember years ago, I went to the Florida camp meeting one time and I was wrestling with a problem. And on my way going there, I said, God, in this camp meeting, give me a word. Give me your word. I need an answer from you. I know if you give it to me, it'll be the right answer. It'll be the right thing. And I kid you not, when I went to that camp meeting, Brother Tom Fred Tinney, who was, used to be our foreign missionary director and was district superintendent of Louisiana for many years, great preacher and a good friend of mine personally. We were in school together for a short time in St. Paul. And uh, Brother Tom Fred Tinney was preaching that camp. And lo and behold, if he didn't get up and choose a text and preach a message right straight to me. And I said to myself, oh, my Lord, I asked God to give me the answer. And this man is preaching a message that has the answer for me. I don't know if anybody else had that need that night. If there was, I don't know, several hundred people there in that auditorium, maybe a thousand people. But whatever he was preaching it would definitely was for me. Now, there better have been others, but it was definitely for me. And I'm trying to tell you here today that whenever the Lord begins to break the bread, the bread of life, when he begins to break the bread, folks, it'll satisfy the soul like nothing else will. It'll give you the answers, and you can go away, praise the Lord, full. That's what happened to them. The Bible says that they were all filled. And uh, look at the scriptures here. Look at verse 20. And they did all eat and were filled. And the word of God will always satisfy your soul. Always. They were all, they all did eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. Praise the Lord. In other words, they had plenty. 21, verse 21. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So I'm just trying to tell you here today that the Lord is the God of impossibilities. I don't know what the impossibility is in your life. I was dealing with a problem that I felt like there was no answer. I did not know it was a brick wall to me. 
And it came by the word of the Lord. And it came through a preacher that preached to me the word of the Lord. Sometimes I just read it in the book. Sometimes I don't just, you know, just say, well, I'm going to open the Bible and see what it says. Be careful about doing that. But you can pray and say, God, give me the answer. Give me the word of God and start reading the word of God and start reading the book. And lo and behold, if the Lord won't speak to your heart from the word, the Lord will touch you and you'll know everything's going to be all right. Praise the Lord. Uh, some, about 22 years ago, uh, in uh, September the 22nd, uh, 1998, I uh, had to have bypass surgery. It was the morning. I'd spent the night there. It was the morning I, they were to give me bypass surgery, triple bypass and uh, I remember the morning before they took me in, I was doing my devotion. I woke up early and had my Bible, and I was laying in the hospital bed uh, here, here at uh, the hospital here in, there, here in, in Melbourne. And I was reading the Bible. And as I read the scriptures, listen to this now, as I read the Bible, and I was only doing my morning devotion. I said, God, I'm going to do my morning devotion before I go in for surgery. And I was reading the Bible. And big bold letters right there in the scriptures, you will not die. Well, I wasn't really afraid that I was going to die, but the Lord told me I wasn't. You understand what I'm saying? And I looked at that and it just jumped out at me. I said, you just big letter, you will not die. It was in the scriptures in Psalms. And, uh, and I, I could look at my Bible real quick, tell exactly where it is. You will not die. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. I know I'm not going to out you, you know. And when they wheeled me out and they went past, and there was a couple of ministers that had come there to sit with my wife and be there, our, our, our district superintendent and, secretary, and district secretary, they were there. And they were going to be with my wife and be with her through the surgery and everything. When I, they wheeled me out and I went past my wife, and she said, I'll walk along with you and just walk along and hold your hand and go. And I said, honey, I'm going to be all right. I won't die. I'll see you after the surgery. I mean, I was just incompetent about it. I laid back and went after, they put that thing, said count to 10 backwards, you know, count to 10 backwards. And before I could get to 10, I was waking up. It's five hours later, but I was waking up and boy, was I, was I hurting and all that stuff, but I was alive. Amen. The word of God is powerful. It's a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. We had a, a situation with our young people one time, and uh, the Lord gave me a scripture in the Bible that he was going to give strength through babes. And I knew by that that our young people, it was when we first started Bible quizzing in this church, you know, and the young people in our, in our church were starting to do the Bible quizzing and everything. And I picked up the Bible one day and I read it and strength shall come through the young people. I can give you chapter and verse on that one too. In Psalms, strength shall come to you through Bible quizzing. Lord, have mercy. Our kids, they started getting into the Bible quizzing in the state and they kept going and kept going. They ain't one state. And oh my, all of a sudden, everybody's coming around slapping me on the back. I had had very little to do with it. They had a coach, you know, we had a coach going on and, and the kids were smart and studying and everything, you know. And, uh, and, and your, your pastor was one of the kids, you know, at that time. And uh, they, they, was, they had been studying and getting prepared for it. They come around patting me on the back and said, Hey, Mars, you got a good church. You got a good group of young people, blah, 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 blah. And all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, it's not me, it's them, you know. And I said, this is them. These are kids that have done that. But what I'm trying to say here is the Lord gave that to me through Scripture, you know. I'm just trying to tell you here that God can speak to us through Scripture not only through the small things, but to the heavy, the big things. Folks, when you don't know what's going to happen, you've you got a marriage problem, you've got a, a financial problem, you've got a health problem, whatever's going on in your life, and you say, Lord, I don't know what the answer is, I want you to know that God, praise the Lord, can do the impossible, for he is the God of the impossible. Now, let me move on a little further here. I'm going to go into a little bit different area here. This is all about the Lord feeding the 5,000. They took up 12 baskets, the fragments. Nobody went hungry. More than 5,000 people. 5,000 men. Men. Just think about it. 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, I'm going to go to the second point here that we want to talk to you about. And that's found in Mark 
Mark chapter 5. And if you'll turn with me to Mark 5.22, I want to get right into this. This is about Jairus' daughter. Now stay close with me on this. Stay close with me on this. Verse 22 of 5 in Mark. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue. Notice that ruler of the synagogue. He's a Jewish guy, high prominent position, place in the Jewish society. He was a Jewish guy, uh, ruler of the synagogue. Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. When he saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I've got a daughter that's very sick, and she lieth at death, point of death. I pray thee, or I ask of you, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. In other words, I am confident that if you do it, Lord, she'll live. Now, that was his faith. He had faith that if Jesus would come, I don't care how sick she was, and she could be sick unto death, but I don't care how sick she was, Jesus, if you come, amen, and lay hands on her, she will be healed, and I believe that. That was his faith. He believed that with all of his heart. So, Lord, come. And Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. Praise the Lord. And uh, verse 24, and Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. So Jesus is going with Jairus to lay hands on a sick daughter. And this crowd of people is pushing and shoving and all kinds of things going on. Now, it's not in your scriptures. I bypass it, but I'm going to refer to here and talk to you about what happened on the way to the home of Jairus where the daughter was sick because there was an event that happened that held him up from getting there in time. And this is what happens in verse 25. A certain woman, and I won't go into detail on this because we spoke on this a couple of weeks ago. A certain woman with an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had, nothing better grew worse. And when she heard of Jesus come in, the press behind, and, and when she had heard of Jesus, she came in, the press behind, and touched his garment. The press is the people crowding in. And she came in behind them so as not to bring attention to herself because of the problem that she had. And she reached under between the crowd, and they were all pushing her back, and she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of his garment and everything. And uh, verse 28, and she said, if, by, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. She was left her body that she was healed. She fell in her body, she was healed and of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out from him, turned about in the press and said, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? They said, touched you? Man, there's people crowding you all around you, and you want to know who touched you? He said, yeah, but I felt virtue go out of me. And then he called for her, and she came and everything, and she told him. And the woman fearing, she was afraid because of the social situations involved in her condition. Verse 33, when the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And then he said unto her, he said, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Uh, go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Excuse me. Now, this delay caused the, the Jesus not to get to Jairus' daughter in time. You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's funny how that things can seem to interrupt the progress that we're making and we think things are going along pretty good, but then all of a sudden there's, there's a hindrance to it. And it just doesn't work out. And it's almost like, Jesus, you messed up. Jesus, you got detained. Jesus, it didn't work out right. 
Because here's what happened. While he yet spake, verse 35, I'm picking up now in our verse of scripture here. I'm picking up now the verse of scripture. Verse 35 right here. <clears throat> While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, a certain man, which said, thy daughter is dead. It's too late. This crowd, this time is taken, this extra healing along the way. You know, the attitude that they may have had over all of that. Why troublest thou the master any further? Forget the whole thing, the child has died. Look at verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid. And so he strengthened the faith of that synagogue ruler by telling him, just keep on having the faith that you've got. Well, man, he's thinking it's too late, but Jesus is saying, just keep on believing the Lord. Then the Lord picked out Peter, James, and John and said, you three come with me, nobody else, just you. You come with me and Jairus, there's four of them. And they went on then to Jairus's house and uh, so forth. <clears throat> Look at verse 38. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the multitude and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, why make, why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. Now, look at verse 40. Now look at this, folks. And they laughed him to scorn. This crowd was laughing at Jesus. But I'm telling you, when you put things in the hands of Jesus, you don't laugh about nothing. And this crowd here is saying, any, if there's any hope of you coming and laying hands on healing, it's all gone. I'm trying to tell you here today, don't ever lose hope in the Lord. Don't ever lose your faith in God. Praise the Lord. There is hope in him when there is no hope in anything else. And I don't know who I'm speaking to today, and I don't know if you may come to this need sometime in your future, but I want you to know, never give up your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. I don't care how things look. Praise the Lord. Keep your faith in Jesus because the Lord has many ways of doing many things. Praise God. And so he goes on to say here, they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, <laughs> you notice that Jesus said, you all you, all you people, they laugh, you laugh, you just get out of here. Get out of the house, get out of here. And he took Jairus, Jairus' wife, and Peter, James, and John, just the five of them and, and Jesus. They were there in that house by themselves. Everybody else put out. He didn't want anybody with no faith standing around because Jesus was about to do a work. And they all got outside and said, you know, they were all full of scorn and laughter and ha ha, you think you're going to do something here? The child already did. And then it goes on to say here, he taketh father and mother and damsel and them that were with him, Peter, James, John, and entered into where the damsel was lying. Look at verse 41. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talithat kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, say unto thee, arise. Jesus spoke to her in Hebrew. That's pure Hebrew. He spoke to her in pure Hebrew. In the New Testament, they spoke an Aramaic language, which was a mixture of Chaldean, a uh, little Hebrew, a little Greek, and it's a mixture of maybe a little Latin as well. It's all mixed in together, especially the uh, Chaldean and, and the Hebrew mixed together, those especially that. And uh, sometimes Jesus would say words like this in the pure Hebrew. When he was on the cross, if you remember, when he was dying on the cross, he said, Eli, Eli, Lamak, Sabachthani, which being interpreted as, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus said that, but that was pure Hebrew. That's recorded in Psalms 22 and 1. It starts out Psalms 22 with those words. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? This was the words that Jesus spoke when he died on the cross. I might just add this. God had not forsaken Jesus, 
But when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins of the world upon him and he died the death of a sinner. He was not a sinner. He knew no sin, but he took upon him your sins and my sins upon him. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He died with the feelings that a sinner who does not know God died. That's a message within itself. But I just want to let you know here that uh, Jesus sometimes did speak in Hebrew in this fashion, and he did when he healed this girl. And he said, damsel, I say unto thee, arise, verse 42. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. Then he charged them straight with it, man, should know, that no man should know it. In other words, keep this to yourself. And commanded that something be given her to eat. Now, I'm just pointing out to you here that Jesus, praise the Lord, did something seeming impossibly, impossible. It looked like that he just didn't make it in time, but he still brought forth a greater miracle than that the raising of her from the dead. Now, I'm going to go to something else here. I want you to go to number three here in your notes. We're going to go to Luke 7. Luke 7. We're doing the impossibilities of Christ. Luke 7. This is a, a little bit different situation here. This is Jesus going through a town. He's walking through a place called Nain. And disciples were with him in verse 12. I'm in 712 here. Now, when he came nigh to the gate of the city of Nain, this is recorded in the 11th verse, Nain, uh, came to the city, the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, I want you to get the picture here. Jesus is at the gate of the city. And they're taking this son out of the gate because outside is where they had the tombs. They had the caves like caves and they rolled stones over to seal them off and so forth. This is where they were taking him out to bury him. Here is a man already dead. He was dead and had been prepared for burial, but not buried yet. Prepared for burial. And he was in his casket. And they were taking him out. At that point, he was not even prepared for burial. They were taking him out to, get, to prepare him for burial. But he was dead, carried out, and he was the only son of a widow woman. Now get the picture here. Here's a woman who's married, got a husband, and got a grown son. And the father gets sick and dies, and she becomes a widow. She grieves his death. She puts him away. But she's got a son. Thank God she's got a son. He'll look after her, take care of her. She'll always be mother to him, and he'll always be her son, and she'll always take care of him. They didn't have Social Security and all that stuff back then, retirement plans and all those kind of things. They depended on that second generation to look after the older generation. That's why it says, honor your mother and father that your days may be long in the earth. It was God's will that they always do that. And so... She had lost her husband, now she had a son, and then the son ups and dies, and she has nothing, has no one, has nothing left. I want you to look at the pathetic situation that this dear lady is in. And here's what it says here in the scriptures. She was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. A lot of sympathy. A lot of, you know, compassion for her, comforting her, hands on her back. She was weeping. They were weeping with her. They were trying to give her support. But, folks, that's about as far as it could go. That's as far as it would go. What is she going to do after that? She'll have to beg. She'll have to get out in the fields and follow behind the workers and try to glean some food along the way so she can have some food. And maybe there's somebody that would be a little well off and would help her from time to time, but no guarantee of anything. I want you to get the picture here. And Jesus comes upon this situation. <clears throat> he came nigh in the city. And this is what was happened. Verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, 
Look at this closely with me. He had compassion. And I feel the Holy Ghost when I even read that. Jesus had compassion. The Lord was moved by her condition. He was touched by her infirmity. He, he, he saw her situation. He knew she was a widow. How did he know she was a widow? He knows all things. Jesus saw the widow with this only son now had passed away. She had no husband. She had no son now. And Jesus was moved with compassion. He was touched by that. Now, let me have you go to that verse of scripture that I, uh, I want you to look with me. It's found in Hebrews. This is in the verse of scripture right here. Uh, right here. Hebrews 4.15. Look at that with me for just a moment. Hebrews 4.15. For we have not an high priest, speaking of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. And this was in Hebrews where it was talking about him being our high priest. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Our everyday things that we deal with. The pains, the heartaches, the griefs, the struggles, the hardships. Everything we go through. The Bible says here that he is not one that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus never sinned. But he, was, he could be touched by our infirmities. So here is a woman that was coming out with her only son dead, and Jesus is simply moved. Nobody asked him to go. Nobody says, will you come and heal him? But just the fact that Jesus saw the need, he was moved and he was touched. I want you to know today that the Lord can be touched by our situations. Amen. That's why you don't ever want to be afraid to call on the Lord and understand that he can be touched by our infirmities. I'm going to read a scripture out of, we're over here in Psalms. Psalms 86, 15. Very simple psalm. And it says, but thou, Lord, art a God full of compassion. See that? Thou art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. This is the psalmist David here talking uh, about the Lord. And as you know, Jesus Christ was God manifest in flesh. And manifest in flesh, that same God looked at this woman and just simply had compassion on her. Praise the Lord. What a powerful thing that is. What a wonderful thing that is. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says here that uh, on verse 14, and he came and touched the buyer. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. This is why I, he was not prepared for burial. When I said that earlier, I was, it was uh, not, this was not accurate. He was, all, he was just dead and had died and they were bringing him in. And he said, young man, I said unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak and he delivered him to his mother, and she was now not without a son. Praise the Lord. I mean, she could not have asked for anything in life better than what Jesus gave and did for her. And I'm telling you, folks, that God, our God through Jesus Christ, our Jesus, our Jesus Christ is a God of impossibility. He's not a God of impossibility. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible with him. Anything is possible in the hands of Jesus. And I don't know what kind of problem you may be faced with today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how serious it is. But I want you to know that Jesus is the answer to everything. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I've got one more example. And that's the one in number four here. And I'm going to go to my last one. Notice here, this is about the raising of Lazarus. Notice here that these last three, number two, number three, and number four, are all raising the dead. Number three, number two here, was Jairus' daughter who died while Jesus was going, and he raised her from the dead. <clears throat> number three was a man who had died and was in the casket and was being taken through the, through the gates of the city. 
and was just laying in his casket. And Jesus had compassion and raised him from the dead. Now look at number four, and it gets like it's getting more complicated. But Jesus is still the Christ of impossible, doing, doing the impossibility, the Christ that nothing is impossible. Praise God. All right, I'm, I'm here now in John. If you'll go to John with me, and we are in chapter 11 and verse 20. Then Martha, let me read that to you, 11, 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. We're all familiar with this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Verse 3, therefore his sisters sent unto Verse 2 says, and it was Mary and Martha anointed Jesus, anointed him and wiped his feet with everything. Verse 3, therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Everybody see that? Lazarus is not dead here, he's sick. Look at verse 6. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, and he was his friend, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. He stayed there. Wait a minute, Lord, aren't you concerned? This man is sick. He's your friend. They sent for you to come because they know that you're, he's your friend, that you, you can touch him and heal him. And Jesus spends two more days there. You get the picture? It looks like he's just taking his just merry old time. Finally, Jesus makes his way and he goes on over there and he meets them and he even has this conversation. Uh, they said Lazarus is dead and all of that. And uh, they tell him all about the story. He's dead. He'd been buried. And uh, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. He said, I know in the last days you raised him. I know, I know, I can believe that. Look at verse 20. I'm jumping down to save time here. Then Martha as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. This is Martha now. This is the one, you know, that was always the worker and doing things. Mary wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen a better part. I still say again today, don't neglect spending time in worship, folks. I don't care how much you work, how much you're involved. I don't care how many hours you've got out there on the job. I don't care how many duties you have in the church. You've got to have time that you just come to the house of God and I just, I'm here just to worship the Lord. You've got to have that. We all have to have that. Sit at the feet of Jesus. I won't go any further with that. Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary is still in the house. Verse 21, then said Martha unto him, Lord, if thou, these are her words now, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. I've got a lot of faith and confidence in you. And I know if you'd have been here, you could have healed him. He would not have died. That's why we sent for you. Because we know you are a healing savior. And if you'd only been here, you wouldn't have died. And it was like saying, Lord, we believe in you to a degree. And then there might've been a little slight rebuke there but if you'd have stepped up a little bit on the speed of getting here, he wouldn't have died and you could have healed him and he'd still be alive. Maybe there was just a little something there. Maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But she said, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. And uh, verse goes on to say in 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying unto him, the same thing, the same thing. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. They both displayed great faith in Jesus for healing. But that was as far as it goes. And Jesus was, had already talked to, to, to Martha in that 25th verse, backing up, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. <clears throat> uh, and so forth. And uh, she says, yeah, I know in the resurrection and everything. And uh, finally Mary comes and she says the very same thing. So her attitude is very much the very same way. And then Jesus goes on up to where Lazarus is at the burial site. 
and they go to the tomb. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should have not died? They even said that. Here's Jesus. This guy's opened the blinded eyes. He's done a lot of miracles. You know, maybe he could have kept Lazarus from dying had he been here. He got here too late. Folks, let me say this. Jesus is never late. He is always on time. Amen. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is always on time. He's never late. Right. Praise the Lord. I'm going to show you here that he wasn't late. Jesus is always on time. This is why last week I was talking about how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun. And it's, it's uh, 365 days, uh, six hours, I think it's six, six hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. But it's not quite 46 seconds. It's 59 and a half seconds. But it's, a, it's not quite 59 and a half. It's 59.51 seconds. That's like it's one one hundredth of a second. That's how long it takes the sun, the earth to go around the sun. Folks, folks, they've got it figured out down to the one hundredth of a second it takes. And it goes around, the earth goes around the sun and comes back to the same spot at that very moment. And it never loses even a fraction of a second. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because God is always on time. Man has built this movement of like going to the moon that we talked about. They, all of that based on God's times and his cycles being so exact. So exact. They've got it all. They've got it figured out. I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. I don't know how they do all that stuff. But I'm just trying to say here, it just simply shows me God is always on time. He's never late, folks. You understand what I'm saying? That sun had come around, uh-oh, it came in a little bit late this, this year, you know. No, no, no. It, 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 it doesn't happen that way. Always on time. So they said to him, Jesus, you're late for Lazarus' sickness. Had you been here, he would not have died. They all said that. Mary said it. Martha said it. Mary said it. Now all the people are saying it. Verse 39. I'm moving on very quickly here. Verse 39. Right here. Where are we? Is it 39? Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And this is a long time. You're not even aware how long he's been dead. And it's a long time has passed. You know, they put him in the ground before three days. And then fourth day, they, you know, I won't go there, but we don't open, don't open that cave. And Jesus said, take away the stone. <coughs> Look at verse 41. What Jesus said in verse 40, Jesus said unto them, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And then Jesus, out of prayer, he said, Father, thank thee that thou hast heard me. I know thou hearest me in all things. Look at verse 43. I'm getting to the point here because my time is getting away. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now listen to me closely, folks. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was dead, put away. He was all wrapped up in grave clothes. He was in that tomb, sealed away. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. This is your bishop's personal belief. If he had not said Lazarus, all the dead would have come forth. I believe that. If he had just said, come forth, all the graves would have brought forth. But he said, Lazarus. And it could not be anyone else but Lazarus. One of these days, the Lord is just simply going to say, come forth, praise the Lord. All my people, amen. And we're going to rise to meet the Lord in there. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Isn't that, isn't that so thoughtful of the Lord to say the dead will rise first? Praise the Lord. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together uh, to meet with them to meet the Lord in the air. But they're going to rise first. Praise the Lord. But what I'm pointing out simply to you here is that he just simply said, Lazarus, come forth. Praise the Lord. And uh, here's what it says that I'm going to finish up reading here. Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44, and he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. Now, one of the last thing I want to just tell you here, and that is this. When we come out of sin, it's almost like God calling us out of death. We're, we receive eternal life. We, we're called out of sin, out of the world, out of the world of sin. Praise the Lord. We come out. God fills us with his spirit. He gives us his spirit. We're ready for heaven. The rapture will take place tomorrow. We'll be ready for heaven. But we've got to get rid of some old grave clothes. When you're out in the world, you've got all kinds of things hanging on you. Some people smoking. Some people dealing with pot. Some people in pornography. I don't know. I can't begin to name all the stuff out there that people can be involved in. And when you come to the Lord and God calls you out of that mess, praise the Lord, you got to get rid of those grave clothes because they're grave clothes. You got to get rid of them. Get rid of all of that worldliness and carnality and lust for the world and, and wanting to be in the world. And I mean, we have people that come in, they get saved and everything. Next thing you know, they're playing around with stuff out there. And the next thing you know, it gets a grip on them again. Don't ever play around with that stuff. I knew a guy that came into church, got saved, lived for God for a long time, and given up smoking. Finally, you know what he did? He said, I'm, I got the power over smoking. I think I'm going to smoke and just see if I still got strength over smoking. I'm just going to try it all out. They tell me I got power over smoking. He went, he went for months and months without smoking. He started trying a little bit. Next door, he got a hold of him again. And he couldn't give it up. He tried to get up and couldn't get up again. And he called me over one day to pray for him. He was crying. He said, Brother Myers, I messed up. I messed up. I messed up. He said, I can't get rid of this smoking. You know, and I had to really pray for him. We had to pray him back through again to get him through that thing that he had just was messing around with. We can mess around with things out there. Get rid of the grave clothes. Everybody with me on that? Amen. Amen. I, I know I'm not talking to 90% of you, but if there's that 10% or that 1% or if there's anybody. Amen. Don't get, I mean, get rid of, don't hang on to old grave clothes. Get rid of them. And the Bible says that Jesus, that get rid of the grave clothes. And Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. Praise the Lord. And they took off the napkin and everything, everything. And he walked and, and rejoiced and everything. And one of Jesus' greatest miracles, if not the greatest miracle of his ministry, was happened right there. And it was just not too long before they even took Jesus. Even after that miracle. They took him, crucified him, but on the third day, he rose from the dead. And behold, he's alive forevermore. Aren't you glad he is? And one day we're going to see him. We're going to see him. Let's stand together and let's just praise God and glorify him. Amen. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your goodness and blessings. We praise you for your wonderful spirit, your truth, your power, your word. Thank you for all of your people. Thank you for all of these other classes that have been in session also at this time. Bless all of these that are here. Go with us at this time and meet back with us again at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.